with so many podcasts out there, shows can get lost in the shuffle. That's why we implore you to check out Too Many Captains. You can find us at a moviepodcast.com. Five unique takes on Hollywood movies and culture. Find us on Twitter at It's a Film Podcast. Check our intellectual deep dives into theatrical films. Find us on Instagram at Too Many Captains Productions. Unique takes on soundtracks. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Too Many Captains Productions. Find us at a moviepodcast.com on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play. And now, here comes a new episode of Collateral Cinema. I'm Bo Maddox. I'm Robert Ortegon. And I'm Ashley Chancellor. And this is Collateral Cinema. Cinema, the only movie podcast that matters, where we focus on good movies, bad movies, and everything else in between in the world of cinema. We're podcasting straight from somewhere in South Texas, and yes, my friends, we are a 420-friendly podcast. So whatever you have, be it dabs, blunts, bongs, or joints, smoke it if you've got it. And welcome to our three-year anniversary episode. What do you guys think? Three years of collateral cinema. Damn. Right? Three years of... Should have sold the rights to who? To to me? (laughs) Sold the rights to who? Exactly, Robert. What the fuck? (laughs) Nah, you know what? We're banking to... I noticed that uh, we've actually exploded pretty recently. Uh, Every time I log on to the Collateral Cinema Instagram account, we're getting like 20 new followers. Yeah, I've noticed that. And... You know, many thanks to all of our new followers on both Twitter and on Instagram, especially on Instagram. I mean, it's quite flattering, you know. I mean, especially, you know, Instagram's kind of becoming a new platform for podcasts to really promote and everything, you know. I mean, Twitter is still a mainstay, but, you know, we still haven't even gotten to 5,000 followers on Twitter. So, you know. Mm. Well, and you mostly manage the Twitter account. I've been managing, you know, a lot of the, the Instagram stuff. So that that's just been my experience. Honestly, been a little bit jealous because Collateral Gaming has not really exploded yet. But um, since we're associated, acts, I figure, you know, we'll kind of we'll kind of work together. But man, I mean, a, what a blast it's been. I mean, I haven't went, been with you guys all for that three years, but for most of it, I mean, I joined on early in season one, and we've done almost every episode together, and it's it's been time of my life. I love just being a bunch of jackasses talking about movies yeah that's pretty much the show jackasses talking about movies right robert oh yeah man i mean we've seen enough of them right i know we own enough of them i mean just between you and i how much how many movies do we have i mean shit probably at least over 300 together maybe i don't know oh way more than that yeah you got more than i do i mean i sold half of mine really but you know that's funny because i'm staring at my wall right now full of dvds (laughs) Yeah, I know. Like, I'm staring at my wall of DVDs, and it's like, we can keep this podcast going pretty much ad infinitum. I mean, yeah, you know, Patreon be damned. But Especially the uh, the director's cut episodes that we need to start doing. 
Yeah, Again. yeah that, that's another thing that we brought forward in our three years of existence is our bonus episodes, Collateral Cinema oh. Director's Cut. Oh, speaking of that. Speaking of that, we are still doing Nightmare on Elm Street. Dude, I'm I got sc- the bar set right here, dude. Ooh. Oh, hell yeah. Beautiful. Ooh, dude. Hell yeah. Dude, they're all right there. That's freaking amazing, right? Yep. That is awesome, dude. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. We're doing the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise on Collateral Cinema Director's Cut. We're going to be doing part two very soon. But as is tradition on Collateral Cinema for our anniversary episode, it's actually a Miike-versary. We talk about Takashi Miike movies on our anniversary episode. And in the past, we've pretty much done most of his more disturbing works, but this one kind of falls into that category as well. We're talking about Gozu, starring uh, Minami Sone, Harumi Sone, and directed by Takashi Miike, of course. And guys, when y'all first saw this movie, what were you thinking? Like... (laughs) (laughs) Alrighty, so between the excessive glorification of Titty milk. I guess that's a Takashi Miike thing. I know it's also a, just kind of a Japanese thing, but um, obviously there are some there's some allegory here, which I guess we'll get into later. But there's that fucking seeing a man getting birth, a full grown adult man being birthed out of a woman's vagina. <laughs> uh, also, Bo, I don't know how you felt about the animal abuse in this movie. That must have killed you as a vegan. It was fake enough not to really affect me that much. And, you know, I've seen this movie before I went vegan and everything, so I've experienced it many, many times. I mean, I've owned this movie probably since at least 2013. I mean, I've had it for a while, and I saw it even earlier. I mean, Robert, I actually watched this movie with you, and your reactions, I kind of relished them a little bit, man. Like, what did, what did you think? <laughs> you know, I didn't know what to think in the beginning. When he was like swinging the chihuahua around, yeah, into the, into the diner's like window, dude, that was hilarious. <laughs> That's like the scene in uh, Freddy Got Fingered. <laughs> it is right, yeah, where he lassoes the fetus <laughs> by the umbilical cord. <laughs> yeah, there's actually a lot of really funny moments in this movie, actually, right? Yeah, I mean, you can't really tell what's dream sequence and what's not. Because uh, it's it's like very David Cronenbergish and uh, David Lynchian. I, I don't know. It's extremely but, uh, Lynchian, and it's Cronenbergian more towards the end. But yeah, I mean, it is kind of the perfect synthesis of those two directorial styles. Yeah, dude. I don't know what to think. I was like, is this Ichi the Killer again? Like, you know. And I'm just looking at the car the whole time, the '65 convertible. You know. Like, <laughs> oh yeah, you were commenting <laughs> quite a bit about that. Uh, what's your take on that car? Like, uh, what's your analysis on the car and Gozu? Oh, it's somewhat of a kind of, that's probably like the only convertible I do like is like the 65 Mustang convertibles, you know? I mean, Camaro made it a good convertible, so did the Firebird, but you know, it's just a classier thing too. I mean, the older one is, I mean, I'm, I prefer a fastback though, you know, but. Oh yeah. I don't know. It's, that's one of the ones you don't want to throw away. It's probably worth some cash, you know? I would imagine so. Yeah. And like original 65 yeah, That car is literally a vehicle for the progression of this movie. I mean, really, yeah. the first time that we really engage with Ozaki and Minami, it's in that car. Most of their most meaningful yeah. engagements are in that car. 
This is true. Yeah, both with the male Ozaki and the female Ozaki, which I mean, obviously, I guess we'll we'll go into more detail about that. Yeah. But overall, my feeling on this and, and the overall kind of near universal opinion here is this movie's just weird. Yeah, Definitely we disturbing. Definitely disturbing all the way throughout, but more so than that, more so than comedic or horror, like uh, some of Miyake's other work, like Audition or Ichi the Killer. This is just weird. <laughs> There's yeah. no other way to put it. It's not so much a dream that's happening. It's just, I mean, things happen. I mean, it's pretty much literally what it is, but... well. This movie is kind of compared to uh, Alice in Wonderland. Like it's it's like the Japanese uh, Miike version of Alice in Wonderland, and and I actually kind of understand that simile there. You know, <laughs> that that comparison analogy, I should say. Yeah, I mean, you can argue that the restaurant scenes are kind of like the tea party with the Mad Hatter, and you can kind of argue that Nosiche or Nose or whatever his name is, he's kind of like the Cheshire Cat a little bit. Yeah, just these wacky, zany characters in Nagoya, and just kind of Minami falling further down the rabbit hole. Yeah. Throughout the store, and it's strange to see where he goes from bewildered to just a part of those events. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he kind of just falls right into the middle of all of it. But this movie's production really came to be because one of the innkeepers in the movie, the big bald guy, his name is Harumi uh -huh. Sone. And he is a veteran of old school Yakuza movies in, in the Japanese movie scene. I mean, Yakuza uh, movies have been around for like ages. But Oh, that's yeah, crazy I mean, with the Yakuza skin. All in the fucking cooler. Oh, oh, yeah, tape. yeah. I mean, showing off the tattoos and everything. That was wild. Oh, but Sony, he wanted actually more of a conventional Yakuza movie, which in some ways Mike has done in his early works. But Mike was just like, first of all, why do you want to make this movie? And it was like Harumi wanted to use this as a vehicle to start up his son's acting career. That's yeah. who plays Minami, is his son. And... Mike, he wanted to actually take a different approach to this. He did not want to make a conventional Yakuza film. So he got with the same writer that he worked with, I believe, on Audition, and he got with uh, him, and they wrote out Gozu, and they went ahead and just went with what he wrote, and it, it just came out all surreal, kind of like Wonderland, and kind of just also a little understated in pretty some got, ways. Pretty good fingers. Yeah, in some ways it kind of feels like Freddy got fingered and it, like literally stuff happens and, you know, gross stuff happens especially. But Mike really wanted to do something different here and he pretty much took the script and he kind of highlighted a lot more of the Buddhist symbolism and imagery. You know, th there's a lot of Buddhist okay. mythology in this movie, actually. Like, like that's what the Gozu cow head is. The, that's actually... Right. Uh, a part of the Buddhist afterlife, namely Buddhist hell. What well, not Go Gozu an urban legend in, from uh, Japanese culture? It's kind of an urban legend, and from what I understand from some of the supplementals on the DVD, that, that's kind of what Mike said, is that it, it all has, like, a Buddhist influence to it. Yeah. But that's, that's especially true with what happens to Ozaki. First, he, he dies on the way to Nagoya, and he's on his way to be disposed of. They're, they're, they're going to straight up like kill him because he's insane. He's out of his mind. He, kill, he killed an innocent dog in front of his boss and all the other made men in the, on the team, you know, in, in his syndicate. And he is uh, reborn as a woman. Yeah. 
that was kind of interesting to me. I wonder if this is almost kind of a proto what's the word? Not not satire. Uh I can't think of it. Parody? <laughs> not parody. Um it's not like an allegory. I don't know what I'm it's trying like to say. like a farce? But... Is that what you're trying to say? Like a farce? No. <laughs> no, that's not the word Reborn that I'm again. thinking of. Just kind of like we saw uh, Ball and Drive. I don't know. Reborn yeah. again or something. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I don't mean... Like Except with Mulholland Drive, that was literally a dream and the events that preceded it. You know, it was just kind of flipped around. Here, there's not really what I would call a dream world in effect here. Nobody's dreaming here. Nobody's asleep. Well, what's what's that yellow lens stuff? Is That's a flashback scene, right, or something? It's not really a flashback. To me, that kind of shows whenever the weirdness is really kind of coming into effect. And it, it's never really explained where all this is coming from or if, you yeah. know, Minami and Ozaki are in the afterlife or anything like that although there are yeah. allusions to that but I was wondering what that was yeah and there, there are moments where things become a little more sepia tinged you know with the color grading and everything that, that, that's what Robert's referring to and it's an interesting choice on Mieke's part to kind of just subtly telegraph when the crazy shit is about to happen yeah, that, that's interesting. Now, thinking about it in retrospect, I mean, there is kind of a visual cue as to um, when the madness sets in versus, you know, just kind of more grounded storytelling. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing particularly grounded about this at all. I mean, some not at even, all. <laughs> some would even say that there's not even much of a plot here. I mean, the, the, the general plot is, like I said before, you know, Ozaki is a made member of the Yakuza. He's absolutely out of his mind. He kills a dog in front of his entire crew. And they say, you know, to hell of it. We're going to just send him off and we're going to kill him and dispose of him. He's, he's a liability now. And so Minami, who is Ozaki's closest uh, friend and brother in the organization, he's the one tasked to do that. And it's pretty much his journey into the insanity that is Nagoya, where Ozaki dies, he loses Ozaki, and then Ozaki comes back as a woman, then things happen, and then before you know it, Ozaki is being birthed out of this woman's vagina at the <laughs> end, while Minami is trying to have sex with her. Like, that's the general plot. It's practically nonsensical, really. When you really look Not at, at it. Not at all. <laughs> you know, it's funny, too, because I, I was really analyzing the relationship between Ozaki and me and me because we go from, obviously, they have this brotherly relationship, and actually, he calls him Aniki, which means brother. And in some translations of the story, I mean, he's actually in, in, interpreted as being his biological brother, but... If you know anything about Yakuza culture, of course, that's not the case. He's his, his mentor. Yeah. But so even so, so we have this kind of brotherly bond between the two of them. And yet Ozaki is facing, I, I guess, kind of this inner turmoil in the beginning about whether or not he should kill him. But because he's a member of the Yakuza, I mean, this is his thing. This is what he does. He, he, he follows orders. Right. And he's willing to, to go through on that. But by the end of the movie, you know, he's thinking, no, I like I'm not going to let you have him. <laughs> yeah. The interesting thing about Minami as a character is that 
he's kind of written in a way where he's not a traditional Yakuza at all, you know? He's not nearly as rough around the edges or, you know, no. even mean-spirited as the rest of his Yakuza brothers, like, especially not Ozaki. But Ozaki's just crazy as fuck. <laughs> yeah, he's almost like the Kakihara of this movie, except just, you know, no torture fetish. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> Kakihara. <laughs> I can see that. Oh, it's just a little torture. <laughs> I would have loved to have seen this movie in a dub. I don't. I don't think a dub exists of this. This is more obscure, huh? I don't know. I think that this is such an intrinsically Japanese story that it it just couldn't really be localized like that for an English dub. That's the true. sub translation is pretty much the best that we have there. It's the closest approximation to what they're saying. So, yeah, I, I think a dub would kind of ruin the subtlety of this movie. Yeah, I suppose so. It is funny. I, I know a little bit of Japanese. So here and there, I can I can tell the differences and what's being translated through the subtitles and what they're actually speaking. And all throughout, I feel like it, it, it stays pretty close. There weren't a lot of differences as far as I noticed. Obviously, there's large gaps, but. Even capturing some of the nuances of, of the Japanese language and culture. Um, again, using the term for brother, which Aniki is literally the term that you would use for your older brother. But in Japanese culture, it might also be the term that you use for, you know, a mentor type figure in the Yakuza group or in any kind of group like that. So, <laughs> yeah, well, there's also the angle regarding Ozaki and Miyami's relationship where there's a little bit of... TV Tropes calls it hoye, and that's like really playing up the more homosexual elements of their relationship, and that really plays into Minami's journey throughout this story, because this movie, it's just dripping with lots of sexuality in a way. Almost homoerotic, huh? It's very, it's very homoerotic when you think about it. I mean, there's that one scene where Osaki is driving with Minami, and he literally tells Minami to whip his dick out. He's like, "Hey, I want to see your dick." You're like, I, I mean, I, I don't know if you've been out driving with your homies, no, if, if you've no, ever wanted to, you know, just have them whip their dicks out. I mean, if that's what you do, more power to you. But hey, Robert, whip, whip your dick out. Oh, it's a it's a dominant male submission thing. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> but yeah, and, and then uh, Ozaki gives him crotchless panties, which plays into the ending of the movie. You know, I mean, he has sex with yeah. female Ozaki, so he has her put on the crotchless panties. I think it's funny how much of his life that he confided in Ozaku because, the, the, you know, the kind of things he says to this fellow member of the Yakuza about his childhood, about the fact that he's a virgin and he uh, masturbated to a picture of mating dogs. And uh, <laughs> oh, come on now. In, in, mating dogs. It's like. I mean, isn't, isn't that supposed to be like, you know, just watching Animal Planet and then watching just all the mating, like like some bestiality thing? Like, what the fuck? Don't try to justify it, Bo. I know you're I'm a not vegan, justifying okay, it. But I'm trying to <laughs> wrap my head around bestiality, it. Okay? I'm trying to wrap the my head around it. animals cannot consent, Bo. It's not okay. I understand, and I agree. I'm just trying to wrap my head around that. Like, how the, how the hell do you get off to that in any way? But Martha, Martha is Aww. disappointed. Oh, Martha, 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 Martha. I remember back at the old studio, we would always just chase that cat around and go like, Martha. Martha. 
Batman versus Superman. Hell yeah. <laughs> Speaking of which, uh, the Snyder Cut is supposed to happen soon, right? Oh, I mean, we're, not, we're going on a little tangent here, but <laughs> oh, they, I, I, I'm going to hold my position on that. OK, I'm sorry. I don't know why anyone thinks Zack Snyder is going to do a better job. Zack Snyder did Batman versus Superman. OK, and Joss Whedon did the Avengers and we can say what we want about, you know, how he treated the, the cast members. Obviously, that's not OK if that's true. But as a director, obviously, he's superior. So I think the only reason why why Justice League ended up being a mediocre movie and not like a shitty movie was because we didn't ended up, you know, finishing it. <laughs> oh, God. I mean, release the Snyder cut. I, I'm just. I don't know if I have a position. I say let's on release it because I mean, everyone's been asking, but I'm not holding my breath that it's going to be any better. <laughs> no, it's it's not. I completely agree. It's not going to be anything of value. I mean, Jared Leto looks interesting, but I mean, I don't know. Birds of Prey too wasn't too bad. Oh really? I didn't see that. Yeah, it was actually, actually pretty good. That one. Yeah. No kidding. Wow. I heard mixed 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 reception on that one. Some people love it, and some people it's it's, it's, it's pretty rough. cool actually. You got to see that. It's a Harley Quinn movie all its own, you know? Right but I actually liked uh, Wonder Woman 84. I thought it was not bad. I mean, there was definitely a suspension of disbelief problem. But at the same time, like, it wasn't a bad movie. It was your typical, like, superhero movie. Not anything special, but it was fun. Anyway, I so, know we're going off on a tangent, but yes. this wouldn't be a collateral cinema episode if we did it. And also, does it not match the tone of the movie that we're talking about? Oh, yeah. I mean, just going off on the tangents. I mean, you could argue that Gozu is just full of tangents, like left and right. That's like, all it is, Bo. It's just, it's just more, all the way it's throughout. Just more airtime filler. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't call it filler. It, it is a compelling work. I mean, it's just, like I said, stuff happens. I mean, speaking of, let's go ahead and talk about some some more of those scenes that happened. What did y'all think about that whole thing with the American girl who was reading the Romanized Japanese on the cue cards, and they actually show the fucking cue cards? What did y'all okay, think a, about that? A, she was hot. B, I actually heard that that American actress actually did have to have cue cards because she didn't, she couldn't read Japanese as well, and then so they wrote it in Romaji. And so they just decided to to go with it and make that a part of the scene. Yeah, and it fits the tone of the movie like entirely too well, actually. Yeah, like kind of kind of meta, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things that uh, Mike just kind of went with. You know, he he just loved the idea of the cue cards on the ceiling, and he was just like, "Fuck it, let's incorporate it into the story." I mean, it's it's a good little touch. And and another yeah. fun fact about that scene, that actress, she was actually Russian. She wasn't an yeah, actual yeah. American. She was a Russian girl playing an American girl who was speaking Japanese off of cue cards. And you could kind yeah. of hear her Russian accent a little bit if you really listen to it. Well, that's not as crazy as Elizabeth Olsen portraying a Sokovian who is doing an American accent and her and her Sokovian accent is slowly leaking through the American accent. Oh, I'm just going to throw it out there. She's a fantastic actress and WandaVision is really fucking good. Yeah, we've got to touch on WandaVision, of course. I mean, go watch that show, I guess. I mean, I'm kind of indifferent to it, but, you know. I think it's awesome. It is such a unique, brilliant piece of work for the MCU. I'm really interested to see where they go with this, but that's my other tangent I, I decided to introduce. Robert, you want to talk more about the car? I mean, we might as well go on another tangent. You know, what, what other cars did you see in this movie? <laughs> 
not enough Subarus, not enough Evos, you know? Yeah. Mostly just the 65 sticking out, you know? And what do you think is the significance of Mike choosing an American car to drive around in Japanese in his movie, like in a Japanese road? Like, I mean, because they, they have a different way of driving over there. He got oh. that shipped over because that's not even right-hand drive. Yeah. I mean, Australia has, like, right-hand drive, like, boards. Is that even legal? Because I've never seen someone drive a left-hand drive, or sorry, right-hand oh, drive in right-hand drive. In, yep. in America. Uh, yeah. So Nissan Skylines and uh, anything JDM will be like right-hand drive, you know, and you can get them imported over here, like your Subaru's JDM, the Skylines JDM. Yeah. And those are your basic money makers that get shipped over here on containers. <laughs> Damn. But how much do you think he, they would have had to pay to ship that uh, Mustang? A big old chunk of money, dude. Just put it on a container, <laughs> put it on a boat, you know? The same way they ship over Maseratis over here, dude, on a boat from God Italy. Damn. You know? God damn, damn it. it. <laughs> okay, do we have the tangents out of the way? <laughs> no. no. I don't know. Are, are, are we just going to randomly Hold have on. some cow head show up and start licking Robert on the on the face and everything? Come pal milk right in your mouth. I don't know. <laughs> Ugh, gross. <laughs> Yeah, I, let's talk about the scenes at the inn. Like, the innkeepers, you know, of course, with Harumi Sone, you know, the one of the dudes I wanted to make this movie, and his so-called sister in, in the movie. What did y'all think about those characters? I mean, at first, they're very kind of morose in a way, right? Yeah. You know what's funny is the first time I watched this movie, I didn't realize that the copy I have was only the second half of the movie. Believe oh, me, shit. I got enough context throughout, but... I started in the scene where uh, she's introducing her brother as a medium and then she starts whipping him. And <laughs> so that that's a really interesting way to start the movie. Out. Really sets the tone. <laughs> that movie is real interesting because it has a subtle little foreshadowing as to what's really going on in that end because there's a certain way where her brother is sitting and there's a certain way that Mike shoots it where for a second there, it looks like he's actually nursing on her breast and there's just a subtle little baby crying there. And then, and then when she pulls away, you actually see his uh, lips pursed up like he's sucking on a nipple. Yeah. So I'm kind of coming more into the allegories here with the, with the breast milk. Okay. I understand, especially after watching a couple more analyses on YouTube about this, that what he was going for was the idea that the mother figure is central to a healthy relationship or a healthy family. It's like the the mother figure needs to be present there, because if you think about it, none of the events in the middle happen without the innkeeper who keeps coming back into the plot. Right. And then at the end, Ozaki and Minami are reunited. The woman giving the female Ozaki giving birth. Yeah. And then, you know, becoming a mother. So I just thought I'm just barely grabbing on to the end of that plot thread. I'm not quite sure (laughs) where that logically concludes, but you know, I, I kind of see where this is going. Maybe you can get into more detail about what's really meant here. Here's what I feel is meant with the uh, the mother's milk in this particular movie. I think that it's meant to symbolize sexual frustration and humiliation because that's kind of a constant okay. theme going on here. Like like you know how I talked about the you know the constant theme of sexuality throughout this movie. Well, that's kind of part of it. Like you have to remember that Minami is a virgin and you know he's never been with anyone and he's very perturbed by any type of weird kind of intimate 
thing. Like, for instance, whenever he's in the bathhouse and the lady innkeeper comes in while he's bathing. And there's also, you know, the, the aforementioned scene where he has to whip his dick out for Ozaki. I mean, there's that moment where the innkeepers are making the milk. They're producing the milk in the bottles. And there's that scene where she straight up gives him a breast milk facial. And th that kind of ties into that humiliation nice. again. And it also his then, frustration, you know, because you, you could tell that he really, really wants to have sexual relations with someone. You know, he's just it's kind of obvious where that attraction is kind of being directed towards, namely Ozaki. And then he becomes Ozaki's daddy, technically. Yeah. Because interesting, because he doesn't get birthed until he actually comes inside of her. And then, I don't know, I guess we just go blow through a full nine months and then 40 years of pregnancy. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And another interesting thing is you see at certain periods, this one kid who's just sitting there and he's drinking the breast milk, you know, which which also kind of goes back into that whole motherhood angle that you were talking yeah, about. Yeah, how, how many times? Right, like in the he, background, right? Yeah. How many times is he in like a shot just drinking that damn milk? Dude, that's weird. At least two. There, there, there's one outside yeah. of the restaurant where Minami has lost Ozaki and he's sitting in the front seat. And you can see him kind of angled in the background, just drinking that very milk that the innkeepers are producing through her through her breasts. You, you, you kind of expect him to just like take the milk away from his mouth, and then there's the milk stash, and he's like, "Got milk." <laughs> no, that would have been too on the nose, honestly. To tell the truth, <laughs> the whole thing is a "Got Milk" commercial. <laughs> hey, Sports Illustrated. <laughs> but yeah, it's interesting that you pointed out that he actually. You know, he had an orgasm before Ozaki was actually born. And do you think that that also kind of implies a little bit of an incest angle as well? You know, since, you know, with the whole Aniki brother angle kind of thrown in there? That's kind of what I was thinking. Because on my first viewing of the movie, you know, I wasn't quite sure the relationship between the movie, between the characters. Because, again, I wasn't even sure, wasn't even aware this was overtly Yakuza when I first watched this. Because I got the second half of the movie, right? So I thought it was his biological brother. So, and that wouldn't be out of the norm for Mike. I mean, if you've seen Visitor Q... <laughs> Oh, of course. I, not. I thought that's what they were going for. Like, this is going to be an actual, like, incestuous relationship, except now, you know, Ozaki's a she.
But there's also the relationship between the lady innkeeper and her brother. That's like almost explicitly incestuous in many ways. Yeah, it's true. I mean, there I is. I mean, that... he's just sucking on her titties. He's just drinking milk, so maybe yeah, not. Straight up, it, it's but... it's interesting that there's that one scene where he's uh, suckling on her breast, and that happens whenever the cow head appears. Gozu. Which, by the way, is supposed to be a dream, right? Except that in both of the dreams that Minami has throughout, he ends up acquiring an item from the dream that follows him into the real world. Maybe a little Nightmare on Elm Street uh, illusion there, right, Robert? Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah? Like, I, don't, I don't know. At, at the end, that's where this whole movie starts changing, you know? It's freaking crazy. Yeah. Like, like the birth popping out of his wife's head or whatever. Popping out <laughs> of her. Dude, that, that reminds me of, like, John Carpenter-ish. Like, I don't know. Oh, thing totally. to life. Yeah, and what did y'all think about the cowhead apparatus, the, that special effect? That was really, really cool that it was a practical effect, right? With with the tongue coming out and just looking at his face, dude. Like, damn. Well, and that's actually the crux of the movie, right? Gozu, cow's head. Yeah. So it, it's interesting how, how little that factors into the overall plot. I mean, that's just right smack dabble in the middle, and it's just this dream sequence. Yeah, and yet, and, and the movie, from what I heard, has very little to do with the actual urban myth, or sorry, urban legend of Gozu, but uh, I think supposedly is influenced by all kinds of urban legends throughout. Yeah, I mean, you could kind of argue that he's just kind of a messenger of the dead, you know, because that, that's what he yeah. does. He gives a letter to Minami from Ozaki. Yeah, Ozaki, who's already dead, but maybe not, and then ends up being a woman, and then... <laughs> Yeah, what did y'all think about the whole angle of Ozaki becoming a woman? I don't know, dude. <laughs> I'm just taking it all in, too, just learning. <laughs> My take on that is that that once again goes into the whole homoerotic angle. That's that's supposed to kind of uh, symbolize the manifestation of Minami's attractions towards Ozaki. You know, like, I mean, it, it's meant to symbolize his sexual attraction to him. And... Like we said before, this has a little bit of a feel of Alice in Wonderland, right? I mean, Nagoya is essentially Wonderland. Right. I mean, basically, yeah. And then with the frequent references to, you know, like, you're not from here, are you? I mean, it definitely feels like that. And and what's interesting about Alice in Wonderland is that the, the Cheshire Cat that says, like, if you weren't mad, then you wouldn't be here. Yeah. So it, it, that kind of alludes to Minami's own sanity, so to speak, as, as he, he seems like maybe he's the straight man in these events and all these weird things are happening to him, but he's not exempt from the madness of it all. Almost like Freddy got fingered in a way. I mean, the whole world is kind of kooky, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you remember back to the Freddy got fingered episode, I mean, that was pretty much a world uh, without consequence. It was a world without right. any real value towards anything. But isn't there almost kind of going on here? I mean, death isn't final, no. right? No. In this I mean, story, there almost are no consequences of anything that happens throughout. Minami doesn't have to face the consequences of having betrayed his brother. Nor does he have to feel the consequences of what he does to his Yakuza boss in the end. Right. So, so in, in a way, I mean, this is all, also quite a bit like Freddy Got Fingered in that respect. Yeah, it kind of has that same gross out angle to it, right? What do you right. think, Robert? <laughs> you, guys, you guys keep talking you're doing fun <laughs> oh my god yeah it, it's a lot to process right yeah you sick fuck <laughs> oh i'm the sick it's like fuck. before you think about it 
<laughs> it's like the more you think about it, the more you realize in retrospect. Yeah, kind of, sort of, you know. But anyhow, Robert, what did you think about the overall acting in this movie? The, the performances of the character of Minami and Ozaki and everybody? I don't know. I need to watch this one more time. I've only seen it once. What was your initial impression of it? Um, like I'm watching another Ichi the Killer movie or, uh, you know. Yeah, I mean, it, it falls into that same genre of Yakuza film, except, I mean, Ichi the Killer, it's a far more linear movie than this. This this just, like we said, it goes all off on tangent and tangent and tangent. But in the end, the tangents all come together to kind of show the characters happy in the end. I mean... In, in the end, I mean, what's the end of uh, Alice in Wonderland? I mean, does that have a kind of happy ending for all the characters? She just wakes up out of a dream. Yeah. Or something. yeah. Well, unless you're playing American McGee's Alice and she's just waking up in a fucking asylum or some shit. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, in the end, this movie has a happy ending. Yeah, you know? it does. Oh, kind of like Slumber Party Massacre 2, right? Oh. She yeah. wakes up in the asylum, and it's like some guitar dude comes out of her dream world. Dude, that's crazy. Yeah, I wouldn't call that a happy <laughs> ending, but yeah, it's kind of similar to that. Just something just kind of coming out of the dream world to attack her. Of course, she's hallucinating it, but, you know. Yeah, see, I couldn't tell because I think all her friends were dead, and then she, at the end, she ends up in an asylum, and then the driller killer is coming, like, right through the floor with a guitar. I don't know. <laughs> and then... And that's where it ends. <laughs> you know, it's funny, too. Like, again, going back to No Consequences, at the end of the movie, after female Ozaki gives birth to male Ozaki, you know, she looks drained and, and like she's not going to survive. And then they're like, oh, yeah, we put her in hot water and she was fine. And then you see the three of them walking arm in arm. I guess they're living together now. <laughs> yeah, they're like a thruple, right? Kind of. Right. Uh, what kind of relationship is that? I mean, that's got to be interesting. <laughs> I mean, there's the whole angle of, you know, female Ozaki being the rebirth of Ozaki and then leading to a double rebirth. So right? it's, I mean, do we have two copies of the same person here? I mean, what does a female Ozaki become after giving birth to male Ozaki? I mean, still Ozaki. Yeah. I mean, it brings up some interesting questions about one's identity, you know, like not only sexual identity, but just identity, period. I mean, and how the, the whole rebirth angle plays into that. You know, what's funny is we never even really know any of the characters first names. I'm, I'm assuming what we're hearing are their surnames. That would be the the norm in culture. Yeah. Um, so Ozaki and Minami would are likely their their family names, but we don't know what their given names are. <laughs> that is interesting. Yeah. They're, they're kind of like nameless protagonists in a way. Right. I mean, and that's another thing is that I wouldn't say that this movie has traditional protagonists or antagonists as we usually know them. There's no real antagonist at all, so to speak. I mean, Minabi is, I mean, I'll argue really the, the protagonist, obviously, but I mean, the closest thing we come to an antagonist would be, I guess, the, the Yakuza boss towards the end, but. <laughs> and that was just because he was being a sleazeball towards Ozaki, you know, I mean, which was, it, it's, right. it's established early on that that's kind of what he's like. I mean, he really, really likes the ladies. And then he gets into that whole ladle thing. Like, he literally has different ladles set out for different, like, sexual experiences. <laughs> that, that This is a guy that's had that kink for a while, and he knows it well. 
I mean, Robert, what do you think of when, when the first thing he did was lick his finger and then just lube himself up and then just grab that ladle and just... I think he was doing it wrong. He should have spit on it, you know? Oh, uh, yeah, I've heard that I've heard that spit is a terrible lube for that sort of thing, you know? It's okay. Yo, you're going to rupture your anus like that? I know. Unless, unless you're a dry guy. Unless you're a dry guy, man, whatever helps you. Oh, my Lord. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's dry. like going to become like one guy, one jar. Ooh. A dry, a dry guy is like a serial killer ish, right? I don't know. Well, basically, right? It is one bed, one jar because he ends up falling on the ladle and, and impaling himself, and, and he's dying in, I guess, the best way he could, achieving orgasm at the same time. Oh, he's in <laughs> ecstasy when that happens. Like, even for a second thereafter, he's electrocuted. He has that one smile on his face, and then he just goes down and, he, and he's gone. And then Ozaki oh. is just like, Minami. Wow. Like, yeah, she, she got all aroused by it. <laughs> but, I mean, what do you think Ozaki was trying to do there with the boss? I mean, I want to say he was going to try to kill him, right? Or she was going to try to kill him. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, if we if we go by earlier in the film when the truck driver picks her up and she just kind of goes along with it uh, and almost seems like Ozaki is just fulfilling these male fantasy stereotypes of, of what a woman should be submissive and just allowing the man to do with what you know what he will. And maybe that's the angle they were going for. Right. Because Minami has maybe these unresolved fantasies about Ozaki, but maybe due to cultural stigma is unable to fulfill those. So by turning Ozaki into, you know, not only a woman, but a woman that's just overall submissive and will let a man do whatever he wants to do with her, you know, kind of makes that fantasy easier to fulfill. And it's also a subversion of the whole power dynamic that Ozaki and Minami had before the rebirth into Ozaki 2. I oh, mean, definitely, yeah. Yeah, I mean, at first, Ozaki was Minami's senior, his mentor right. and everything. But now it's just a subversion, an inversion. An inversion, <laughs> of you that should power say. Yeah, yeah, sorry, it's an inversion. And then in the end, he's the one who takes Minami's virginity. He even comes early inside of her. Yeah. <laughs> There is no thrusting going on. He sticks it in, holds it there for a second, and then he comes. <laughs> like a virgin, man. God damn. Hey, my I, my first time was not like that, okay? I came quick, but not that quick. Neither was mine, honestly. <laughs> Robert's like, what the fuck are these guys talking about? Robert, you want to you share your first time, Robert? Do you? Yeah, it was in a shed. <laughs> oh, it's okay mine was behind the silverado movie theater <laughs> oh wow oh goodness well was mine was shed, in a horse yeah. stall so freaking smoked weed for the first time and got laid it was awesome oh hell yeah hey. dude <laughs> sounds like a night <laughs> it was a great night Shit. it was a two for one you know yeah, yeah. got dick wet and got high <laughs> So, guys, based on the Takashi Miki movies that we've seen in the past, where do you think that this movie ranks? Like, I mean, and what is it comparable to in just based on the movies that y'all have seen on the show so far? I think I don't like it quite as much as Each the Killer, but I think I might like it a little bit more than Visitor Q. Yeah, I, <laughs> I find it to be a very funny movie. It gets funnier every time that I see it. 
Yeah. I mean, and I wasn't sure about that the first time I saw it, but again, thinking about it more in retrospect and I think being able to grasp some more of the allegory, uh, I, I think does make that a little bit easier. And whereas Visitor Q was more out of this world, just completely shattering your foundations and, and just completely not, not being what you expect to the point of, of being what you expect, I, I think that subverts your expectations in a more subtle way. <laughs> Needless to say, yeah. I mean, I think that, I mean, when it comes to all the other movies, I mean, I've seen a, a few more Takashi Miki movies than y'all have. I, I own a, quite a few of them. I mean, when you compare it to something like Fudo or Crow's Nest or, or even something like Imprint, like to me, this right here, I kind of fail to really see why it's so disturbing. It, it's just more of a weird mindfuck comedy to me, you know? Yeah. And... To me, that's kind of comparable a little bit to Visitor Q, but also to Happiness of the Katakuris, although that's a, that's a way more fantastical movie. But I, I, I think that this is among his better works. I mean, I like Audition. I like Ichi the Killer and everything. Those are definitely movies that you should start with, but this one is a little more esoteric. It's yeah. a little slower. It's more methodical. It's, it's trying to build to a point you know so i say that this is definitely one of my favorite takashi miike movies what, what do you think robert just based on what you've seen before yeah i've only seen like uh ichi the killer and that other one i don't know man i don't know what to take in every time it's like something new yeah well that's just miike in a nutshell i mean he has how many, what's up how many movies did you say this guy does like a year like, at least over 10, right? There was a period where he was doing 10 to 15 movies a year. I, I think he's slowed down his output since then as he's gotten older. But, yeah, there was a good 10-year period where he was just releasing movie after movie after movie every year. And, wow. I mean, honestly, we haven't even scratched on the surface. Yeah, there's so many of these, dude. Yeah. yeah. But based on, let's say, like, I showed you Visitor Q and Ichi the Killer. Like, which one out of these three do you prefer? I don't know. I mean, Ichi the Killer was actually cool. Yeah, very stylized, very action-packed. I mean, Just, yeah, in the beginning with that soul blade he had on his on his foot. Yeah, it's like comparing apples to oranges, really. I don't know. Man. Like, yeah, I've only seen this director like a few movies, but I really don't know what to take in. It's <laughs> yeah. a lot to take in. I kind of realized that I haven't showed either of y'all audition. We need to watch that movie. I listened to the episode on it because I ended up editing together that video version of it. So, yeah, but I haven't actually watched the movie throughout, which most of the time I prefer not to watch an ep or listen to one of our episodes until I've actually seen the movie. So there's a few I haven't I haven't listened to yet. But yeah, well, I recommend checking that movie out. That That's kind of a good starting point if you're just getting into Mike, you know, because it starts off a very much like a drama and then it just goes into absolute insanity. あれ、ヤクザ Minasamagata, no, go to Ganga Nayo de Sara. Kumicho Nice to Roscana Smas. 
おやさんやられる前にやっとかねえと。start wrapping things up. Let's go ahead and give some final thoughts here. We'll go ahead and start with Ash. All right. Well, I think any fan of Takashi Miike should check out Gozu for sure. One of his more memorable films from from what I've seen and heard of. I, I do think it's a little bit more of an obscure reference compared to more of his more notable work like Audition or Each the Killer. But for me, this one's this one stands out quite a bit. And it's something that I, I definitely want to revisit and kind of and watch with a with a with a clearer vision. Maybe after I've seen some more of Miyake's work. Yeah, but, I mean, I mean <laughs> yeah, I, I get what you're saying there. This is definitely the type of movie that you want to. It's kind of a sleeper hit in his discography. So yeah, I kind of feel what you're saying there. Robert, how about you? What but, are your but it reminds final? me a lot of how I felt after... Oh God, sorry, I was going to say, it Good reminds one. me a lot of how I felt after watching both of the David Lynch movies that, that we uh, we did on the box. Yeah. You know, I, I, I'm kind of like, I want to go and watch this again and then pay attention to everything. <laughs> the yeah. more you think about it, the more it makes sense, or the more questions it ends, but the more, the more you think about it, the more it makes sense, but the more questions it ends up opening up. <laughs> Definitely. Robert, what are your final thoughts? Man, I don't know. What other movies do you have like this, dude? <laughs> Lots. <laughs> I have all kinds of movies that will fuck with your mind, like hardcore. Man, I'm yeah. still traumatized from fucking martyrs. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. I still maintain that that is not nearly a di as disturbing a movie as people think it is, really. It's just more rough. Speak for yourself, dude. <laughs> a woman gets flayed alive in that. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know. But yeah, I, don't know, I really, I really like Cronenberg's uh, first movie, the one that you showed me. The, I don't know. Oh yeah, Shivers. Yeah, we got to do that Shivers. on the on the show sometime because that's a really I cool it, movie. I found it a lot like almost like Cronenbergish. So I was like, God damn, this is so cool. That's like tinges of the Brood, tinges of the Fly, maybe kind of. Yeah, exactly. Goldblumish. Yeah. Yeah, it's just it's just that body horror that you know Mike throws into his work every now and again. It's it's very much directly influenced by Cronenberg. But my final thoughts, like I said, this is among my one of my more favorite Mike movies. I think that it deserves a lot more analysis and a lot more deep dives because I mean there, there's plenty of that on the internet, but. I mean, this is a movie that's just like Mulholland Drive or Eraserhead where you really, really just want to peel every layer back and you really just kind of want to try to get to the gist of it all. And, yeah, exactly. I mean, this has a lot of layers. I mean, it has Buddhist mythology. It has elements of sexual frustration and awakening. It has, you know, even some incestuous elements here and there. And all Stop in all, it, it's just, like we said, a dream world without a dream. It's, it's, it's Wonderland. So 
I highly urge people to watch this movie wherever you can. And it's an experience, needless to say. A straight-up experience. But we'll go ahead and end it there. Ash, go ahead and plug Collateral Gaming and Bonus Round and whatnot. Before we do that, by the way, guys, if you're watching this on video, I'm wearing our first Collateral Cinema merch, and I've got Collateral Gaming merch as well. Very, very soon we'll be uh, kind of releasing that for everyone to get to uh, to get to, to purchase, and uh, we're getting the merch lanes on the way. But as far as Collateral Gaming goes, uh, we just recorded our second half of the Ghosts of Tsushima episode, and uh, another movie that really delves into Japanese culture, movie, video game in this case, that delves into Japanese culture and actually excels at it and this was noted by the japanese audience got a perfect score and won a game of the year in the famitsu magazine so that says something for an american game made on an american studio and you can hear more of what we think about that once that is out uh we also did a collab bonus round episode Bo and i talked about movie uh tie-in games and that was a lot of fun uh we just did our, another bonus round that i just got out yesterday where we uh we talked about our, our, our second video game recommendation list uh, and that was a lot of fun and uh very soon uh we will be getting into metroid fusion excellent metroid fusion is a fun game i, I like that one yeah yeah i actually just beat it for the first time because i've played a lot of it in the past but i never finished it all the way through for some reason my emulators always failed on me yeah uh, but in this case i got a virtual console legal copy of my wii u played it all the way through 100 it currently right now and Man, I love Metroid. It is probably my second favorite video game series of all time. And I'm happy we're finally getting a chance to talk about it. Uh, speaking of which, if you're not uh, listening to Collateral Gaming, uh, well, you can find us wherever you listen to Collateral Cinema. Uh, we're available on all social media channels. And we've also got a Patreon with some Let's Play video game commentaries. So check that out, guys. And Collateral Cinema also has a Patreon where you can find full-length film commentaries on some of the movies that we've done on the show and more. And also you can find us on Instagram, on Twitter, and on Facebook. And also wherever you get your podcasts, namely Spotify, iHeartRadio, Podbean, and Apple Podcasts. Robert, you want to plug anything? Robert's doing something. I don't know. Uh, I don't know what's happening. He had his movie Killing Night released recently. It's a, it's a short film. It's shot by yours truly, directed by him, starring Robert. Check it out. It's on YouTube, and you can find Robert Ortegon on Facebook and on Twitter. And that's going to wrap things up for all of us. I'm Bo Maddox. I'm Ashley Chancellor, and I think Robert's phone just died. Yeah, his phone just died, so... Robert Ortegon as well, and we are Collateral Cinema, and we are And what are here. we doing next? Yeah, we're doing Hot Tub Time Machine next. We're doing Hot Tub Time Machine, and special announcement, my co-host from Collateral Gaming, Zachary Gio, wants to be on that episode. So. Excellent. Awesome. We'll have him on. But, uh, yeah, that being said, we're out. I beat you to it, vegan nerd. Oh, fucking bastard. <laughs> Waiters, y'all. おじさん、押すなんだもん。せめてお手紙読んでください。
Cinema is an L Company production. All music and movie clips are owned by the respective creators and are used for educational purposes only. Please don't sue us. We're poor.